Welcome to the Scale with Tech and AI Growth Lab podcast. I am your host, Jay Farr at Tech Fusion Systems. Our guest is Ralph Brown at Cup Royale. Ralph, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for inviting me. I think this is fantastic. Awesome. Glad to have you here. So tell us a little bit about Cup Royale. I see you guys have these enormous, powerful boats racing around the world. That's all I know about it. So fill me in. There's never been a powerboat race all the way around the world. And so we're creating one. Why not? <laughs> Years ago, I was out boating with my kids and a friend. And we hit a rock and we broke the motor. And I got pissed off. I had no idea this was going to be a life-changing moment at the time. I got pissed off. I said, how, how is it possible? We can put a man on the moon. We can't make a boat that would go over those rocks and be safe out at sea. Because usually those are two different problems. The boats that are really good out at sea run aground in shallow water. And the boats that get across the shallow waters tip over and kill people or sink in the ocean. And so anyway, I got really pissed off about it. And it got really consumed in my head about how to make a better boat. And over a course of years, it became a really big deal. And at the time I was in the financial planning industry, I basically did long-term investments for people and their insurances and stuff. And I couldn't hang, I couldn't keep my head in there. My head was in how to make a bigger, how to make a boat run better. Yeah, I'm taking a look at this, these boats, they're really long, they have two arms with like a kind of small balancing flotation device. So you're saying this is like a hybrid boat, like it's built both for shallow in, in deep water. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> <I'm sorry>. Okay. <laughs> you're looking at a website and I'm trying to give you a little bit of history and it is a con 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 convolution. The race around the world is about getting everybody to build their own design, okay? Each country to build their own design. I don't say each country, a one franchise owner in the country, somebody who buys the team, okay? That, just like the NFL, just like NBA, baseball, there's a team owner, okay? And the team owner is responsible for everything. Now, most of these guys that are team owners, they have connections, they get a sponsor. You look at a NASCAR, a cheap sponsor in NASCAR, five, $10 million, uh, a high quality sponsor, 50, 60, 100 million. You go to Formula One, a cheap sponsor is on the low end of that. And, and a top sponsor is two or $300 million. So they go out and get a sponsor that pays for everything. If you look at the sailboat races, the America's Cup, most people don't realize that the America's Cup is the oldest organized sport in the world. It's much older than the Olympics. It predates the Olympics, predates any other organized sport that's still continuously going. But the companies pay $100 million to put their name on the side of the sailboat. Can you just comprehend that? $100 million. And so like Team USA was sponsored by Airbus, a French company. Why would a French company want to sponsor Team USA? It's hard to advertise to the whole world. It's extremely hard to advertise to the whole world. And you go look at the, and this is a sailboat race, and it only lasts a couple of weeks. It's not something like what we're doing that gets gigantic publicity around the world for a long period of time, but it's a sailboat race that lasts a couple of weeks, but companies still pay an outrageous amount of money. You go to the, the Emirates, Fly Emirates is the main sponsor of Team New Zealand. 
Say, what? Team New Zealand? Well, that's a big country. No, that's a little tiny country down there by Australia. Okay? It, in comparison, why does Fly Emirates sponsor the New Zealand team? Because the New Zealand team wins. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> but anyways, so big companies put a lot of money. So I just want to quote these numbers that you sent me over. You have here approximately 5 million people watch an average NFL game, 400 million people watch the average Formula One race. That's right. That's hard That's, to those are crazy numbers. Yeah, that, the average. Last night, I tried to watch the Buccaneers game, and we had computer problems, excuse me, TV problems, and we weren't able to watch it as they lost. Not We don't like to see them lose, but we like the Buccaneers. But anyways, but yeah, we would have been one of those 5 million people trying to watch. Okay. And then Monday night football is actually a little bit higher. Okay. But the, the regular games, it's about 5 million per game, 15 games a week, 75 million people watching the NFL in any given week. Okay. 400 million watching Formula One. People don't realize how big racing is. And if you look at just the largest NFL stadium, Okay, when you include all the empty seats, they can put about one hundred and nine thousand people in the Cowboy Stadium. That includes extra seats that they put in, which they don't usually put in, but they put one hundred nine thousand. They could put three hundred and fifty thousand in the Indianapolis five hundred. Yeah, that's insane. And boating has been around a lot longer than cars. And so. That makes makes sense. How big are these boats? A boat that can go around the world? Can you give us some specs on these? Yeah, any company can, each country can produce whatever boat they want to race around the world. It has to be between 20 meters and 25 meters, 66 feet and 82 feet. It has to be between there. Now, the, the big deal about it is the ability to race across thousands of miles. But now you have to take that same boat that raced across thousands of miles, and you have to race in the harbor race against uh, the same boats. So if you build an ocean boat, it's all made for the ocean. You're not going to be maneuverable in a harbor race. And the harbor race has a lot of zigzags to make it interesting, make it fun. So the fastest boat to get across the ocean, all right, is automatically wins the pole. When I say wins the pole, do you know what I mean? Okay. So when, if you go watch a NASCAR race, Okay, uh, you may have 32 teams racing, but they're not 32 teams wide in the front. They're staggered, a couple of them wide, and it goes back so that there's 32 teams. The fastest cars win the pole. Okay, and that's when they, the fastest cars, they practice or they, they qualify before the race. The fastest ones win the pole, which means they're the front of the pack. Right. Okay, it. so the slower ones are in the back. So for us, we use our ocean race as the pole. So if you get across, for instance, the first race will be from San Diego to Hawaii. If you're the first boat that gets across, you're automatically first in line in the pole. Okay. So other boats that are that get coming in behind you are gonna, gonna be behind you in the harbor race. The big deal about that is boats that are really good in the ocean probably won't be so good in the harbor. Right. The ones that are really good in the harbor probably won't be the best in the ocean. So the idea is that you put the ones that are fastest in the harbor in back. They've got to pass everybody up and basically make it more and more competitive. Yeah, there's a lot more engineering and planning that, and strategy that goes into it that way. Oh, huge. It's, it, it's all about strategy. Okay. 
And basically, this comes from the fact that I ran across a way to get a lot of better fuel economy out of a boat than other people were getting. And most people don't realize how horrible the fuel economy in a boat is. And for instance, you get in your car and you go down the highway, okay, at 70 miles an hour. And looking at you, you're probably more like an 80-mile-an-hour guy. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> probably 10 over. <laughs> okay. But anyways, the 80-mile-an-hour guy, you got a car, a modern car. You're getting between 20 and 30 miles to the gallon, generally. Right? If you could get a boat that would do 70 miles an hour, which very few can. But if you could get a boat that would do 70 miles an hour, and it had the same range that your car has, about 300 miles. So you got a boat that can do 70 miles an hour and does 300, can go 300 miles. That's your comparison. Okay. If, if you're not going to get 25, 30 miles a gallon, you're lucky if you're getting one mile to the gallon. Yeah. Fact, most of them are getting a lot less than that. Yeah. Water is a lot thicker. There's a lot more drag than air. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't roll. And so it's, it's a lot more drag, a lot more. It's a lot harder to make a boat go fast. So basically the whole idea here is we want the, the world to produce more efficient ships. Now, if, if you, just to give you an idea, shipping hasn't really changed since 1957. The last major change in the propulsion system of ships, 6% of the world's fuel, 6%, okay? To give you a comparison of what that, think about that for just a minute, the United States represents 4% of the world's population, okay? So I'm talking about in just in comparison to the population of the United States versus the rest of the world, 6% of the world's fuel is used for shipping. 90% of all trade takes place by ship. And there hasn't been a significant change since 1957, 65 years. Um, now, not because there aren't good ideas. There's plenty of good ideas out there. In fact, there's a cruise company that decided to make a hydrogen-powered cruise ship. Now, it caught fire. And that probably doesn't encourage a whole lot of people to go on. <laughs> probably not. I remember the idea of using hydrogen for fuel has been around for a long time. Of course, it's being fought tooth and nail by petroleum companies and et cetera, et cetera. And of course there are dangers as well, but probably it's a very viable option if it was done correctly, but you're right. There's a lot of pushback. And when something like that happens, it's very discouraging. So hard well, to get support. A, a naval architect builds a ship for 25 years. Okay. That's the plan. 25 years. And at the end of that 25 years, you can't get insurance on it. That ship may work perfect. Everything may be perfectly, but nobody wants to insure it. If you can't get insurance on it, no harbor wants you to bring it in. Because if you bump something, you just touch and just bump, you've got massive amount of mass, massive amount of weight. <laughs> yeah. This sounds too common. Massive amount of weight there and momentum. And it just touches things. It destroys docks, destroys piers, destroys boats, destroys bridges. In fact, here in Tampa Bay, about 35 years ago, we had one of them running into one of our bridges down here. And it took the bridge down. I think it killed 32 people. And so basically, if you don't have insurance on a big ship, okay, they won't let you bring it in the harbor. After 25 years, that's why they take them to the scrapyards. You look at these, you see these scrapyards, beautiful ship, they got to run on the ground and cut it up in pieces and sell it. Yeah. Okay. Because nobody wants to insure it. And because nobody wants to insure it, you can't use it. And so consequently, no naval architect wants to take the risk. 
you've got a couple hundred million dollars sitting out there and you got to pull it out of the water and change something because you decided that you wanted some new technology, a new idea. So there has to be a proving ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there, yeah the be- conditions for innovation are not really, not really there like you're describing, like the insurance, the length of time it takes, the liability. And so basically one of the things that you're accomplishing with Cup Royale is encouraging innovation and kind of a small testing ground. Yes, a proving ground. Have you ever heard of Evan Root Outboards? No. It's the oldest manufacturer of outboard motors in the world. It was a U.S. company, got bought out by a Canadian company, but it's still, it's one of the largest manufacturers of outboards in the world. And a couple of years ago, they came out with this really great engine called the E-Tech. And they said it did this and this. It was the greatest thing you can imagine. Okay. And they really sold a ton of them. They found out a little bit later that they broke. All these new ideas broke. And they ended up with all these massive warranty claims and they just shut the doors just recently. They just shut their doors down. The oldest manufacturer. So had they had somewhere to prove this to the whole world, how well it was, how, how strong it was, and it wouldn't break down in a 50,000-mile race. Okay, you do a 50,000-mile race, if it's going to break, it's going to break. Yeah. There's a big difference between design in the lab and then putting it through a real field test in the real world. I've been an engineer for a long time, and I can tell you that things don't always work the way they're supposed to really? when you put them to the <laughs> test. And the design engineers are like, that's not possible. <laughs> and the guys in the field are like, we have a video, we'll send it to you. So yeah, that's, that's too bad. Boy, that was a, that was an awfully big gamble they made. Yes. And they put them out of business. It's that simple. And it's pretty sad when it's the oldest manufacturer in the world. You think about that. I hold four world records in boating. They're all extreme power boating records, including, so I developed that boat. I was telling you about that could run in super shallow water. And I said was safe on the ocean. And people, I'm not saying everybody should use them in the ocean, but I'm saying if you get stuck in the ocean, you should be okay. All right. People laughed at me. So I took one from North Carolina to Bermuda and then Bermuda to New York, which Bermuda's an island 700 miles off the coast of North Carolina. And the Coast Guard tried to catch me. I slipped between them and got out there. They made a big deal about how unsafe it was. So then I took it from Bermuda to New York and NBC, I I, I got a ticket for going behind the Statue of Liberty. I did a a victory lap around the Statue of Liberty. Evidently, you're not allowed to do that. Oh my God, that's (laughs) insane. (laughs) So they came out and and they they gave me a ticket. The Coast Guard did. NBC paid for the ticket, which I thought was pretty cool. But it, it became the, uh, the longest ocean voyage in what's called a flats boat, a shallow draft boat that can run about that much water. And then I got told by a lot of people that I just got lucky. Yeah. So then I took the same boat from Tampa, Florida to Germany. Wow. 8,312 miles. That's, um, that's really interesting. The difference is the boat is very shallow in the water, right? Not, lots of shallow water boats. But the question is, what makes them stable in the ocean and what makes them operate. If you get a flat bottom boat, which most people think it's a flat bottom boat, it's not. And I'm close to being flat. But if you get a flat bottom boat, your engine still has to sit below the engine about the boat. So you may have a flat bottom boat that 
floats in this much water. But now you've got an engine that's another foot below that or foot and a half below that, 18 inches or so. So it won't operate in shallow water. But also flat bottom boats are not necessarily stable in the ocean. Most people think they are. Okay. But when you fill in full of water, the water can rush either way and flip the boat. Mm-hmm. And they flip instantly. When they rescue right. somebody in a boat that flips, okay, almost everybody says immediately the, the same exact quote. It happened so fast. They were totally yeah, surprised. That makes sense. Those flat bottom boats, they, they flip easily. That's the main problem, right? Yeah. Because they don't run deep into the water. So you want something that does both. Well, and, and that's got nothing to do with the race. That's got everything to do with how I got where I'm at. I was making a boat to do that. And that's how, and basically in the process, I ran across a way to get a lot better fuel economy. And I said, I'm going to go around the world and, and show off my boat technology. The more I started looking at this and I realized, wait a minute, there's no organized race of power boats going around the world. And you stop and look at this thing and you say, wow, would, would people be interested? Truth is, no, they're not going to watch the TV, the ocean part. Three days of nonstop, you're sitting there doing this. Nobody's going to watch that. Okay. As, as boring as all get out. If you can't, if you can't make money with it, it'll die a natural death. Has to make money. So how do you make money? You get advertising. How do you get the advertisers interested with something that's so boring as watching a bunch of boats out in the ocean? Okay, they're not going to be interested at all. So you got to have a, something that makes it interesting. So what you do is you take three days of oceaning, ocean, you drop it down into one hour. And half of it's about your home country and half of it's about everybody. And now you start, it, it's the same thing. Like you've watched the show Survivor sometime on TV, I'm sure. Yeah, I've seen some of these shows. Some of these shows are really long. I think it would be really interesting. I think a lot of people would watch it, but they would not watch it from start to finish. They would watch different chapters and it would be like an ongoing story and in sections. Well, that's what we want to do. We reduce that down. But then you have the Harbor Race, which is live. People will watch that. Most people don't realize how big the crowds are for boat racing. Cocoa Beach, Florida, where I grew up, they have the Thunder on the Beach. Actually, they changed the name to Thunder on Cocoa Beach. I like the original one, Thunder on the Beach, but whatever. But they always, almost always have more than 100,000 people show up to watch that race. You say, wow, 100,000. How does that compare? Okay, the Raymond James Stadium, which holds the Buccaneers, holds 66,000 people. 100,000 show up to watch the boat race. Now, here in St. Pete, which is right next to Cape, right next to Tampa, those of you that don't know that, they have World Cup offshore powerboat racing. Okay, the original crowds were over 200,000 people. That's three times the crowd that showed up to watch the Tampa Bay Buccaneers play. Yeah, it's crazy that this doesn't already exist. And that's exactly what you said, right? You were like, why doesn't this exist? It should. <laughs> so let's do it. That's it. And so it, it, it's just become a process. And the whole concept is basically, can we make it, can we make it create an audience? If you can create an audience with it, there's money there. Mm-hmm. Somebody asked Larry Page, it might have been Sergey Brim, one or the other, when they were going to stop advertising all over Google. And the answer was, we're never going to stop advertising. 
that's 87% of all of our revenues is what we get from advertising on Google. See, well, wait a minute. What about all that, that pay for this service and pay for that service in the Google Map service and Google Earth service and all that other stuff? Yes, all of that stuff adds up to 13% of the revenues. The rest of it is the advertising value. And so if you can get eyeballs to watch it, there's money being made off the advertising. And when we look at this thing and we realize that 400 million people watch Formula One, 400 million, and that's why companies spend $200 million putting their name on a Formula One car. Okay, why? Because uh, 400 million people are watching it. So, but, and, and by the way, can you tell that to someone from Europe? They look at you and say, duh, you didn't know that? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. You tell that to an American, they, they look at exchange. Not everybody watches football. No. Yeah. We're 4% of the world's population. Yeah, there's only less than 400 million people in the United States, and there's seven or eight, seven billion people in the world. I think people forget what the numbers really look like. Sometimes you get stuck in your own world. That's it. So, anyways, but we believe that we can attract an audience. And when we attract an audience, it may not be 400 million, doesn't have to be. They sell a lot of beer commercials to the 5 million people watching the NFL. And I think we could get more than that. <laughs> yeah, I have no doubt it's going to be extremely popular. I would watch it, and I don't watch hardly any television. So that's a good like, sign. You, you'll want to know what's going on, okay? You want, you will, and, and, and that's my opinion. So with a lot of these uh, sporting events, the minor league events and different things, they don't do a good job of territorial rivalry. And that's an extremely important factor, okay? Just about anywhere in the United States where you live, generally, you're going to root and cheer for the team that's closest to you in most cases. I grew up in Cocoa Beach, Florida. There's no team over there, all right? We rooted for Miami Dolphins. That, that was the, Back then, there wasn't a Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and there wasn't the Jacksonville Jaguars. They didn't exist. We rooted for the Miami Dolphins. Larry Zonka, <laughs> going way back. I know you, you probably don't remember those days because you look a little bit younger than me. I'm not. I don't watch sports, honestly. You don't watch football? No, couldn't care less. No, I love football. <laughs> That's okay. That's cool. I'll watch it if I'm at a party or something. I'll watch it a little bit. I just don't have that much interest. Oh, I love it. Okay, uh, absolutely love it. Anyways, but we watch them. But you find out that people cheer for their home team. Yeah. They just do. I, yep. Doesn't matter. You move to, to to New England, almost everybody in the New England area is going to cheer for the Patriots. There are exceptions. You go to California, almost everybody's going to cheer for the one of the California. Go to Wisconsin, okay, area, and try to wear a different uniform. <laughs> yeah, that's risky. I don't want to do that. <laughs> Wisconsin's not known for it. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was uh, doing a family trip and kind of a business trip and a family trip mixed together. And I had a big red Tampa Bay Buccaneers jacket and we were staying in Philadelphia. I had forgotten that the playoff game was scheduled in Philadelphia and it was the Buccaneers against, okay, the New England, the, the, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, just like last night's game, the one. And so I stepped into the elevator and I've got this big red Buccaneers jacket on. And I look around the elevator and it's full of people wearing 
uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Stuff. I'm thinking, oh, no, I'm going to get beat up before. <laughs> <laughs> get some dirty looks, maybe. Oh, man, nobody touched me, but I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm going to get beat up. <laughs> so how does this race work? So you got 50 teams, or is that the plan? That's the like, plan. Where, yeah, where are you at with actually the first race? What does okay. the trajectory look like? The first race will take place 18 months from funding. We're still putting together the capital. Okay. The first race will go from San Diego around the world back to San Diego. Now we may move it, but currently we're planning to use San Diego. The reason for it, we can use it any city we want, as long as you come back to the same city. And of course the city's got to have access to the ocean, but you can even use Chicago for that matter. Okay. And most people think of Chicago as a, if you've never been there, okay. You think all the stuff in the news about how crime it is, crime central. But if you get downtown Chicago, it's a beautiful city on the water. I used to live on the outskirts, and it's a beautiful city on the water. And they've got a lot of really great stuff going on. It could be there. It could be somewhere else. But anyways, but we race around the world and we get back to it. Now, it's going to take us 18 months to, to put this together, the first team. First race, we will have between two and five teams. That's all. Won't be a big deal. The following year, we're hoping to have between five and 20 teams race. And the team, the year after that, we want to go up by another 10 or so. And eventually, we want to have no more than 50 teams. And that, that, that's the goal. You say there's 206 countries. Well, what about the other 156 countries? Do they get a team? No, they don't. So why, why don't they get a team? Because we're only letting 50 teams. It's just like, how many cities want an NFL team? When was the last time they added an NFL team? Been yeah, you have to have enough resources to, to fund a competitive team. It's not just that. It's they want the exclusivity. It's, that's a big deal. The teams keep going up in value. For instance, a few months ago, they sold the Denver Broncos for $4.65 Now, I was told the other day, and I'm not sure of this. I haven't verified it, and I really should take a minute and verify it. But they just sold uh, the Washington team for $6 billion. So how do you get, what do you get when you buy one of these teams? Well, you don't realize what they get. You get some dirty uniforms and a bunch of contracts. You might get a building, you might not. You might get a field, you might not. A lot of times those buildings are rented and uh, the, the fields, the, the city owns them. So what do you really get when you spend $4.65 billion for a team? Nothing more than a bunch of contracts, but what you get is the exclusivity, exclusive rights to that team. And that's a big deal because in 40 years, there's only three things that have never had a negative quarter. Healthcare has never had a negative quarter. Education has never had a negative quarter. And North American professional sports has never had a negative quarter. So if you're looking at long-term investments, and you've got, let's suppose you had a few billion dollars and you want to put it somewhere and you don't want to lose money. You've already made all the money you want to make. Of course, you always want to make more, but you're not worried about making money. You're worried about a good, safe investment. The Walton family thought the Denver Broncos for $4.65 was a good investment. And I don't know who bought the Washington. I, I should look it up, but I haven't. Uh, the, but anyways, somebody just bought it for $6 billion. That team... That group of people thought that was a good, safe investment. Yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't know those statistics. Who? So how do you find, where are you sourcing the teams from? How many people 
are going to man a boat. And where do you get these people from? Who are these people who, who want to do There's this? no shortage of people that yeah. want to be on a team. There's no shortage of them. I have so many people that are volunteered up to ride with me because we're, we're going to go after the world speed record first before we create this race while we're in the process. It's a big part of the publicity punch for it. And there is no shortage of people who want that. Now, the reality is how many of those people really are going to endure? I don't, I don't want to make anybody think this is something that's simple and easy because it's not. You get out to sea and there's gigantic waves and, and you're hundreds of miles, maybe thousands of miles from help. Okay. Not everybody is, does real well at that. Okay. When you're looking around, the big waves are coming over the top of your boat and huge waves and your boat's completely submerged in the water. And not everybody does gets excited about being there. Okay. But filming, it's good. And everybody likes to hear about it. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty crazy. How long is it? How long, how long does it take to go around? The current record is 61 days for a powerboat and 41 for a sailboat. Now, almost everybody, I don't know if you saw your face, but you just gave that a, like a thought. What? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> almost everybody says that. With a sailboat, it's 41 days and you don't have to carry any fuel and you don't have to stop and get more. Mm -hmm. With a, a powerboat, you've got to carry your own fuel and you have to stop and get more. And you can get nobody help out at sea someone delivers fuel to you out at sea you're disqualified okay you've got to actually get stop and get more fuel so it's 61 days the 61 day record is a very low-hanging food in my opinion in the 41 day record the sailboat record and almost anybody that knows anything about boats thinks i'm crazy when i say this i'm i intend to break both records okay no one in the history of mankind has ever taken a powerboat around the world faster than a sailboat ever. Yeah, um, that's, that's probably going to happen eventually with all the innovation you're going to be spawning from this, this event. Eventually, you're going to get there. That's it. But we want to get there before we even start the race. It's, I already, it's, it's not, to me, that's not a hard part at all. That's, it's, it's just one step. It's climbing a ladder. It's one, one step going up the ladder. But how many miles is it? It's not a straight line, obviously, but how many miles is it with the, the track that you've laid out? It, it, it's a, just over 25,000. 20. Hang on, hang on. I'm talking about two different things. I'm talking about going after the record and the race. They're two different things because the race is harbor to harbor around the world. It's still deliberately more than 50,000 miles, the race. Deliberately oh. more than 50. We want it to be the longest race of any kind in the history of mankind. Okay, so okay. you're purposely not doing a very straight line. <laughs> <laughs> Complete, completely out of the purpose. Yeah, okay. okay. All right. The the going for the records, it's just it's about 25,000 miles and going around the world. And so, anyways, but the I, I think it's just a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity for teams around the world to develop better, more fuel efficient vessels and the competition to do that, and then just the competition, just sheer old-fashioned racing. So to answer the question you asked earlier, which I never answered, uh, we're selling teams. The teams are $6 million a pop, okay? I have three countries that are, that are spoken for, but they haven't written a check yet. India, Ireland, and the United States, okay? When the checks are written, then spoken for is real. But there's a, a banker, retired banker, 
in Germany that grew up in Ireland. She wants the Irish team. One of the professional soccer teams, I guess they call them football teams out there, the family that owns that in India has a has agreed. They told me they're interested in buying. They just don't want to buy the first team. So when someone else buys a team, they want to buy. And then there's a European king that has agreed to help me sell teams. Okay. I can't say any more about which one. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you see, when's he going to help? When we have the rest of the funding in place. Okay. Because he doesn't want to be embarrassed. Right. That kind of a thing. So we have are a, doing, how are you doing your outreach? How are you connecting with these people for the funding and the purchasing and, and all of this stuff? There's a lot of, that's a huge answer to a short question, but there's steps in the process in, in the whole thing. And the first steps, we're still going through the hardest steps right now. And so over the weekend, I did get an offer for $2 million from a group to come on board. I haven't yet gotten the money, but we're going through paperwork right now. And that that just happened just this weekend. And hopefully they come on board. And then once they're on board, we have a, I don't think I can use their name in a podcast at this point, but one of the bigger investment banking firms that's done $300 billion that the Security and Exchange Commission says they have a clean record and they've raised $300 billion. They told us they want to bring us $100 million. And but they will not help us until we get the next step. And so I'm the next step is pulling together this money from this other firm that hopefully will write, hopefully will follow through on it. Once, okay? you, once you get going, I'm sure everyone's going to jump right on board. Well, right? that's the same thing. Yeah. The European King, I, I, I met him in Florida, but he was here visiting a friend of his. And my friend, I, a friend of a friend introduced me to him. And the first time I met the guy, he says, we want you make a donation to my foundation. And I'm thinking, you're a billionaire. Why are you asking me for money? Okay. And then it was explained to me. He, had, he, he gets a paycheck like everybody else does. Okay. And he, when he wants to spend money that's not part of that his budget, he has to go to parliament and get approval. And then he's got trustees and, and his family members involved. And so it used to be you could throw your family members who gave you a hard time in the tower. You can't do that anymore. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so anyways, he said that once we're funded to where he won't be embarrassed, he would like to help us uh, sell teams. I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. But of course, he wants a commission like everybody else does. And he doesn't have to answer to government officials, trustees, or family members. Mm-hmm. So if he wants a new Ferrari or a new private jet or anything like that, the, the teams are expensive. Year one, they're six million. In year two, they're twelve million. Year three, they're twenty-four million. Year four, they're forty-eight million. We look at Major League Soccer. Uh, I, I know some people think that you're crazy trying to sell teams like this. Major League Soccer. If you go back twenty years, they were struggling to sell teams for three and five million dollars. Today, those teams there, there's a waiting line to buy them now, and it's three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. No, excuse me, I said it wrong. I said twenty thousand. Back up 20 years ago, it was three to five million. Today, they're 350 million. Yeah. And there's wow. a waiting line for them. Okay. Yeah. That's it, interesting. And that's why you see uh, all these deep pocket people buying up teams. It's well, a solid investment. It's just, yeah. It, North American sports has never had a negative core. It doesn't mean some of the minor leagues haven't had bad years. But when you talk about the top tier, 
the top tiers never had a negative quarter in 40 years. Right. And so they don't lose money, they make money. So we're going to, we're going to know the status. We're going to find out what the date's going to be for this first race and all your events. I'm guessing right on your website, cuproyale.com. Yes. Yes. You can find that there. Follow us on LinkedIn, uh, Ralph Brown, Cup Royale on LinkedIn. And uh, anyways, you didn't ask me any questions about AI. I actually wrote down answers about <laughs> AI in advance. I thought well, through it. You know what? I will ask you if you want to share with us some of the tech that these boats and the teams are going to use to go around the world safely. And you know, is it is there any offshore assistance or are they just isolated to the boats? Okay. What are the restrictions? We have, we're building two vessels. These are 200 foot long aircraft carriers. They carry a seaplane and a helicopter. Okay. They're designed to be fast, efficient vessels. One of them takes off a day and a half ahead of everybody. They leave. Because most of these legs, as you go around the world, are about 3,000 miles. Okay. The vast majority of boats in the world can't race 3,000 miles. But the aircraft carrier want to leave a day early. So it's ahead of everybody. And then one comes up behind everybody. It's 200 feet long. It carries all kinds of equipment and medical uh, teams on the boats. So if somebody, if we have a problem and somebody needs medical in the medical, middle of the ocean, we can go pick them up with a helicopter or a seaplane and take them back to the, the lead ship or the following ship. Okay. Um, I apologize. But anyways, you've got that. The follow ship's also going to carry extra fuel. If you need fuel, it's going to cost you on time. Right. <laughs> you need fuel, but you need a part, okay? We may have one of these parts. Let's see. Ah, that screw is worth 30 minutes for that screw. Right. Ah, you, you need a tool? Not a you problem. See, that makes the story and the engagement from the viewers so much better, too. Oh, if yeah. you put that into the story, this is going to be big. Okay. Oh, you need a gallon of fuel? Okay, we're going to charge you two minutes per gallon. How many gallons do you need? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, there's so much that you could do with this. If you look at the popularity of kind of the reality TV formats, the stories and all the little sub stories that weave into the overall uh, event, there's so much you could do with this. I think it's going to be so big. I can't wait to see uh, the first one. I think it'd be fantastic. And uh, yeah. I think there's a, there'd be just like in football, there's people you love to hate. Okay. Warren Sapp used to be, used to play defensive end for us here in Tampa Bay. Okay. Defensive lineman. Uh, he was tackled most of the time, but, and for some time, but anyway, big, strong guy. He would do things to piss the other team off just on purpose, just to piss them off. Okay. And, it, and, but he could back it up. All right. So he's one of those guys you love to hate. All right. And I think there's going to be people in here. That are good to be they love to hate the cameras all over the boat the first hour or two or three hours in front of these cameras you're going to be very hesitant to do things and then after a while once you get uh to where you you're doing stuff you get used to it there's going to be a lot of personality conflicts and people aren't going to care about the cameras okay right. once they get used to them yeah and that's so big for viewer engagement too yeah that's part of it. So there's so many, there's so many awesome elements of this. There's something for everyone. There's, there's the cool science behind it, the boating element, the engineering element, there's the personality element, the story element. There's so many different components of this. So I can definitely see how this could be enormous. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Anyways.
Any more questions? No, just I'm excited to hear some updates and get some updated timelines. And I want to make sure this is on my schedule so I don't miss it. That's for sure. You will definitely know about it when it happens. And so where in Ohio are you at? Cincinnati. Okay, now hang on. Cincinnati is the one that's not on. I get a mix up. Cincinnati and Cleveland. Which one's on the Great Lake? Not Cincinnati. So we're pretty far south, almost to Kentucky. Are you pretty close to the, Mich- the Mississippi River? Not exactly sure. How, I've only been here a year, so I'm not sure how far we are. Okay, I apologize. <laughs> okay. I, I I've been to Ohio a few times, but I don't really know Ohio. Okay. I know Basically, we're going- I'm going to know. I'm following you on LinkedIn. I've got your website bookmarked here, cuproyal.com. So I'm going to know about it. And I encourage everybody to connect with you on LinkedIn. I'm sure you're going to do some post updates. That's Ralph Brown on LinkedIn. Keep us up to date so we can all look forward to seeing that. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure, man. This is exciting stuff. It's a disjointed conversation. We did a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there, a little bit there, but if you hang on, you'll get the whole idea. (laughs) Dude, it's an amazing story. And what you're doing is just so freaking cool besides that. And then of course, there's a lot of good things that are going to come out of it too, besides just entertainment and doing cool stuff, like a lot of new innovation with boating and transport and fuel efficiency and probably some safety stuff. And so that's really a positive thing too. Well, we think all of that will come out and more. Yeah. And more. By the way, if you want to go waste your time, go to a naval architect figure firm and try to tell them how to do things. (laughs) Yeah. Good luck. Good luck. But if you show them it can be done, okay, they'll pay attention. Yeah. I was at the Palm Beach uh, boat show with a friend of mine. And they don't like you park a car next to the actual places because there's no room. So you park off the distance and you ride the bus up to where the boat show is, the convention center. So we're on, in the evening and we're going back. And my friend David and I, we're sitting next to these two guys. They're in the seat in front of us. And we're, I was just talking to them. And they said that they were naval engineers, naval architects. And so my friend David said, hey, we want a boat that can run in really shallow water, but we want to be safe enough to cross the ocean. And one of those naval architects said, you idiot, okay, pick one or the other. You can't get both, okay? You just can't get both. And the other naval architect sitting next to him said, no, elbow the other guy. Don't you remember that guy near Tampa? Okay, he makes that boat that can run in this much water, and he crossed the ocean in it. He knew about it. Okay, now my point was that you can't teach them anything Mm -hmm. because they already know it. People have been saying that you can't do this and you can't do that. And this is impossible. And that's impossible for thousands of years. Yes. Right? And the, the, almost all great innovation comes from outside the industry. It doesn't come from inside the industry. If you go back to the computer revolution that we've seen in the last 50 years, just a complete revolution. And you go back and you see a guy named Steve Jobs who partnered with a guy named Steve Wozniak. Okay, and they had these great ideas. And Wozniak was working for a company called Hewlett Packard. And he had a contract with Hewlett Packard to go show him his ideas. And he went through there, they went and they showed the ideas. And Hewlett Packard said, Nah, if there's anything new gonna be computers, it's us. You can't see me, but us, okay, or IBM, it's gonna do it. You guys aren't gonna do nothing. Okay. <laughs> and then, then you go about the same time. There's a guy named Bill Gates. He didn't develop 
software. He saw the software and it clicked in his head. We can sell this software. So he goes to IBM and he's pitching it to IBM. And IBM has the same basic attitude. Okay. If it's going to happen, we're going to do it and go away. And they actually got rid of Bill Gates the first time. Stone wants to go away. Now he his family members got him back in. Okay. Because he had family members that were well connected, but originally went on his own. But their attitude originally was it's if it's meant to be, it's going to be us. We're IBM. We're Hewlett Packard. No, but those are two guys. A little out. bit of ego getting in the way there. We can go all the way back to the Wright brothers. Everyone laughed at them. You guys are freaking crazy. Human beings can't fly, right? Yeah. <laughs> you could go back and back thousands of years. Yeah. But usually the, the newest and best innovation comes from outside the industry mm -hmm. because they have, they're willing to look at new ideas. The highly educated in the industry, they've already taught. They've already, they already know all the ideas. They don't need new ideas. Mm -hmm. And we believe that there's going to be a lot of new ideas that come. I don't know whose ideas they are, but whether they're my ideas or someone else's ideas. Okay. I, I guarantee a bunch of them are going to be someone else's ideas. But there's going to be great ideas that come up. And when the great ideas come up, that's what we want. We, we want new ideas. We want things to make things better. And we want old-fashioned competition because I like to race. I don't know about you, but I like to race. By the way, when I'm racing, I like to win. <laughs> that is the goal. Yeah. I, I like it. to win. I love it. I love it. Fantastic. Uh close Ralph Brown Cup Royale. Thank you so much for sharing that uh, with us and your vision and, and your plan for this. This is going to be huge and I can't wait to see it. All right. Thank you so much. Great things are coming.